Welcome to Corestruction, the podcast of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. I'm your host, Brandon Parrish. When the Department of Defense needs vertical construction on military installations around the world, it turns to the Corps of Engineers. The person responsible for overseeing military programs and reporting that to the Chief of Engineers is Dr. Christine Altendorf. Dr. Altendorf, thank you for joining us today. I know you're a Lubbock, Texas native and grew up in Oklahoma City, that's correct? And you're an Oklahoman, pretty much. Yes, and actually I was born in Lubbock, but moved away before I was one. So literally grew up in Oklahoma City um, all of my life. Uh, my family still lives in Oklahoma City in Tulsa, so, so I have strong roots to the, I'm gonna say the Sooner State, although I'm a cowboy. You are, right? Like, uh, all three degrees from Oklahoma State University, yes. which is where very many of our engineers come from. We, we have quite a few. Um, I want to start and say thank you, first of all, for taking the time out of your visit here. I know you're touring Tinker Air Force Base and our KC-46A maintenance project construction, as well as um, some other projects. I think you've toured the, the air traffic control tower that was completed today. So thank you so much for taking the time and, and welcome to Corestruction. Thank you. So in your role, you're seeing generally the 30,000 foot view of the military programs um, for the Corps of Engineers. What, um, what does it mean to you to be able to come home to Oklahoma and see it at the district level and see where the, the rubber meets the road or the, I guess, the shovel meets the dirt, as we say, right? Yeah, very good. Well, actually, um, I get, kind of get two, two bangs for the buck coming, coming back here to Oklahoma. I started uh, my Corps of Engineers career in Tulsa District. So I started in hydrology and hydraulics and, and did that for several years. And I did do a, a bit of um, military construction engineering. I actually did uh, some project engineering work both here at Tinker uh, Shepherd Air Force Base. So on one hand, it's really nice to come back. Um, although a lot of people have, have left the Tulsa district since I've been there, um, there still are faces that I see, there are faces that I know. And so... So one, it is like coming home. I also, as I stated earlier, have family here. So if I come to Tulsa or Oklahoma City, try to try to sneak in a little bit of family time, um, or maybe I, I didn't, but maybe get to a football game, et cetera, at Oklahoma State. So, so that is one draw, is just kind of coming home, home to family and then home to Tulsa district family. So that's exciting. Um, as you mentioned, what I do now, the 30,000 foot level. And it is, it's a lot of policy, it's a lot of seeing reports where things have, have maybe gone wrong or we have challenges. Uh, but what's really nice, and I tell people this all the time, because they say, oh, you work at headquarters. I said, yeah, but the most fun is at the district. That's where the action is. That's where the work gets completed. That's where you are actually seeing uh, challenges in place, but then you also can put in the um, activities to overcome those challenges and have great successes. And one thing that's been really good about this trip, what I was able to do today, was um, not just see projects in construction. Many times when I go out, in fact, almost most of the time when I go out is I see projects that are under construction. So I'm, I'm seeing um, steel being erected or I'm seeing concrete being placed. And one thing that was really nice today, I got to see some projects that were newly completed. So it's a little bit different where you see the project done, it's not under construction, and then you get to talk to the folks that use the project. And so uh, today, some very satisfied stakeholders, 
And so that's nice because a lot of times, especially if we're behind or, or we had some mods where you might have some cost overruns, you get a lot of that during the construction. But when you have the final product in place and people are using it and it serves their purpose and they love it, that's really satisfying. So that's, that's why I like to go to the field. So, so far, what are your takeaways from your visit to Tinker? Well, I came first and I got to see, like I said earlier, some, some faces that I recognize. So I was able to catch up a little bit. What's going on with the district? What's the morale of the district? What are some of the challenges of the district? What's happening when it comes to hiring? Because there is a lot of work going on at Tulsa District Corps. Um, you know, how are we keeping people engaged and employed? How are we hiring? Making sure that the staff that we have on is not getting, you know, stressed and overworked because there is a lot going on. So I was able to get a feel, talk to the, the, the staff about that a bit. And then, like I stated, is, is get out and find out what is our relationship with our stakeholder, whether it's the, the BCE, whether it is, you know, the, the uh, user of the facilities, whether it is, you know, um, AFMC, whomever it is, what is our relationship? Where is it good? Where is it challenged? Because I said a project can, can have its challenges and actually it can still be very successful, but it all depends on the relationship. So if you don't have that relationship, you don't have that partnership going on between us, the stakeholder, the contractor, um, the user, then, then things can go south really quickly. And so everything that I saw today, and I did ask uh, everywhere we went is, you know, how are the relationships here? You know, how are we reaching out? How are we partnering? And I think it's really strong in Tulsa District. I think that's been a big focus area. I think everyone knows the chief of engineers partner, partnering is a focus area for him. And I think Tulsa District's carrying that out. What do you see as the top areas of focus um, in terms of military programs that that's coming out of headquarters or and that that the districts need to be cognizant of and what do the districts need to do to address those or execute those yeah initiatives? so so one thing that we are focused on we talked a little bit is military construction so if people are familiar with the military construction process it's actually a um, projects that are funded in the, the MILCON VA appropriations bill. And there's a very specific process that goes along with that. Uh, what happens a lot is on MILCON specifically is they take a long time to actually, one, start the design, get through the design, or get it budgeted, get it through the design, and then get it um, appropriated. And then by that time, three or four or five years later, uh, many times the cost is suspect. And so one thing we spoke about a little bit today, and it is a big, a big topic we're talking a lot, not just at the Corps of Engineers headquarters, but also at the Pentagon, is how are we um, making sure that the Corps of Engineers folks are engaged from really the inception of the project. It isn't just that somebody has come up with a, a, a cost number and then all of a sudden it becomes the president's budget number and the core had no role in it. And we found out that it becomes very, very problematic. So one thing we are pushing is that if we have a MILCON project that is in the FIDEP, um, the five-year development plan, if it's in the FIDEP, um, that the core of engineers is involved in a planning charrette. So are they involved in the charrette? Do we have the... Um, 
expertise, the economists? Do we have the cost engineers? Do we have the specific people involved as we are laying out what the project is? Can the stakeholders define clearly what the requirements are? Is there a site located for that project? Many times we get through design and the site hasn't even been totally designed, decided yet. That's really problematic. Um, and then it adds to cost. It adds to a project potentially getting appropriated and we don't have the, the proper site to put it at. Um, so we're really working on, I think, some some discipline in the MILCON process. And it's not just the Corps of Engineers, it is a, a team um, event. And so whether it is MCOM for the Army or if it's um, AFKEC for um, the Air Force, you know, do they have the requirements laid out right? Is it something that is, is workable and that the core has been brought in at the appropriate time to do cost? And then what's required for us is we go in at the 35% design and we do a CSRA, cost schedule risk analysis. And that needs to be a very good cost schedule risk analysis. And then we need to be able to commit to actually get that project awarded for what that cost estimate is. I think many people here a lot of times from our stakeholders, we heard a little bit today, is um, it's not so much about quality. They're generally happy with quality. Um, and a big focus area for the chief is safety. I think they've got a very good safety record here. Um, but it ends up being cost, so modifications that go on during construction, and then really more than anything is um, the time increases. You know, we're, we're missing by six months or 12 months or whatever the case may be. And there's always a reason. Every single project has a story. There is a reason. But how do we discipline ourselves so we can actually start meeting um, BOD on the date we said was going to be, be BOD? You actually mentioned earlier, I, I remember saying that, you know, having good cost engineers was so important. And, and when you can find really good cost engineers... You, you need to groom them and, and, and keep them around as best as you can. And can you talk real quick about your experience having yeah, those? Yeah, so, so uh, cost engineer, you don't, you don't go get a degree in cost engineering, right? So you have to learn that skill. And I think many times, I think we have historically a little bit taken cost engineering for granted. And I think now where it's really, and, and I think it's been, I think it's been a challenge for a long time. I think really when COVID hit and then uh, prices started skyrocketing with, you know, 30% a year, 35% a year, just for a variety of reasons, it's like, wow. And especially if a cost estimate was done before COVID and then all of a sudden, hey, how do you go in and update those costs? Do we have the right people? Uh, the chief of engineers, General Spellman, has been very focused on, on really, um, cost engineering and cost estimation expertise. And so we have um, been trying to hire up uh, enterprise-wide, but it isn't just about hiring up. It's not about just filling the slots. Are they the right people and do they have that skill set? And that skill set has to be learned. And so what happens, and it's it's right now going on with so many, so many um, um, areas in the core is, you know, are we letting people retire or are they retiring? And then we've kind of lost that middle area where we can teach, coach, and mentor the new folks so that they can become the new experts. We kind of have, have you know, this hollow area. Um, and so how are we making sure that that happens? But cost engineering, I think, is a, a skill that is so necessary and so required for everything we do, and not just military programs. It's also a huge requirement on the civil work side. Um, and so, so I think that we have to really focus on that. We have to, to be able to stand behind that. Uh, you know, the products that they come up with, and then we have to live within uh, what those cost estimates are. 
Now, from the, from the outside, it's easy to look at the Corps of Engineers and you look at the military programs and you think, okay, they build runways, they build barracks, they build training grounds. But there are a lot of other areas, such as like uh, real estate and environmental, mm -hmm. and, and you were talking earlier about inter interagency interaction. Can you? Can yeah. You, can you so, talk about so how that? we're set up at the Corps of Engineers, I'll just lay out what our structure is. Um, we have three areas in the Corps of Engineers. Generally, you have civil works, you have military programs, and then you have um, R and D, research and development. A lot, you know, a lot of the R and D is down at Erdig, Fixburg, um, Searle, at Champaign. They're doing the R&D and, and civil works. You can have a whole other podcast on civil works. Um, but under military programs, I've got um, five sections. One is MILCON, as we talked about a little bit, right? So actually military construction, so the construction of new facilities. Then I also have a section which, uh, believe it or not, has a higher obligation um, than Milcon annually, and it is a booming business, and we've seen a lot of it here. And it is, we call it our um, installation readiness division, but that is who um, oversees the SRM, so all of the O&M work. So anything that's renovation, anything that is, you know, not new construction. And so this year in 23, or this past year, we obligated um, across Air Force and Army and other DOD organizations, $7.2 billion of R&M work. So restoration, wow. yeah, restoration and modernization. And we, we obligated about $6.7 billion in Milcon. So those are two of my shops. Each has an SCS in charge. Um, I've got the environmental, which you mentioned. I've got an SCS in charge of that. Uh, and that focuses really on... Um, cleanup of hazardous and toxic waste. So formerly used defense sites, foos wrap. Um, we also do, people don't realize, but we do for, mainly for Army, a little bit for Air Force too, is we will go out and we do a lot of the, the NEPA work um, that's required on installations, uh, that's required you know, for the Army or for the Air Force. We will take care of that on the military side. So that's about a $2.5 billion program. Um, we do work also, um, whether it's... Um, EPA, Superfund sites, etc., um, DOE, and so it is. It's a pretty, a pretty vast responsibility. Then we also have real estate. Now, real estate is housed under military programs, but it does both military programs and civil works. So you can imagine all the real estate that's involved with civil works. But um, for real estate, we are the the designated um, organization that is required to do the real estate real estate for the Army. So, uh, for instance, even like the um, privatized housing, you know, right. we work, we actually work the leases, you know, with the privatized partner. We do that. We do, I mean, um, recruiting, things you don't even think about. If you're driving in a town and you see a recruiting station, whether it's in, you know, a strip shopping center or in a mall or wherever, um, the Corps of Engineers has, has worked that lease for that recruiting station. Um, many times, um, recruiters live in small towns that don't have a military installation, and, um, they can't find housing, so then we will lease housing for those recruiters, and um, that's just kind of a small example. All sorts of leases, we do all sorts of ag leases, all sorts of things that go on in real estate, and so that's housed under me. And then finally, um, we have IIS, which is the um, interagency and international support. So what happens many times, and, and you saw this really with the border wall, you saw with, uh, we do a lot of work for Veterans Administration, lots of construction going on with Veterans Administration. So another federal agency, right, that doesn't fall under DOD. Um, 
we would we are kind of I would say many times, especially with a lot of the infrastructure bills that have come upon us the last several years, they have been given a lot of work for their infrastructure, but they don't have the engineering support to take care of that. So they come to the core to say, "Core, can you help us with our infrastructure?" We are doing uh, quite a bit of work for the uh, USDA, so Department of Agriculture, their ARS, their research stations. We're doing that. We're doing work for um, Bureau of Engraving and Printing. Um, lots of lots and lots going on. And then we also do um, that falls under that is foreign military sales. So many times for uh, other countries, you know, where they're going to buy, for instance, they're going to buy, you know, name the name the either uh, equipment or right. aircraft or whatever, and then they ask the Corps to come and do the facilities for whatever it is they're purchasing. So we're doing a lot, whether it's in Kuwait, Saudi Arabia you know, Jordan, you know, a variety of places. And then we also do uh, quite a bit of work. And this is, does not fall under foreign military cells. It falls under um, host nation, but quite a bit of work for the host nation in Korea and Japan. Right. So so loads and loads of, of work that we're doing, not just for um, the Army, but really for, or the Air Force, but really for the United States and really the world. Wow. That, that yeah, uh, our chief of military construction was over in Korea working on. Yes, Camp he was. Humphreys. Patrick was in Korea. Right. Yeah. So, so y you were uh, you were in you were in Oklahoma in 2021. I remember because I was I was talking to Dr. Tukowski and ah. he said, "Oh, you know, Dr. Altendorf's coming down to receive the Lohman Medal," and you know that's that's a pretty significant award that the engineering program there gives out to highly deserving individuals. They certainly think a lot about you and they think highly of you, certainly. Um, do you ever get down to Stillwater? Or I do. I actually have a, a sister that lives in Stillwater. I don't get there nearly enough. It just gets, you know, sometimes it just gets harder and harder. Um, I think the last time I was in Stillwater was not this year, but when we played um, Arizona State. And we hadn't played Arizona State in a long time, but my husband went to Arizona State. So they, we had a football game, um, not this past year, but the year before. So that's actually the last time I was in Stillwater. So that was in 22. But I did, um, you know, uh, obviously all three degrees from Oklahoma State. All my siblings, I've got eight siblings. Eight siblings went to Oklahoma State. So uh, we pretty much have orange blood. Um, but I can't say enough about the College of Engineering either. Um, and, and, oh, my heavens, getting that award was, was really an honor and a surprise. And, and you know, some, some faculty folks that had mentored me actually, you know, had reached out and said, hey, you know, we'd like to nominate you for this. And I said, you're kidding. You know, it's always kind of a surprise. I was like, what? You know, it's, it's just me. How can that happen? And, and um, it really was a great event, and it was a great honor. And... Um, you know, I think the dean is, is an amazing guy. I think he, you know, he's brought a lot of energy, right, to the to the College of Engineering and Architecture and Technology. And, um, yeah, it's I, I think it's good. I think it's solid. Of course, I'm completely biased, right? I don't have a lot to compare it to because since I got all my degrees there. But but I think they do great things. And I think that, that looking at Tulsa District, I mean, you can go. You probably have a lot of graduates from OU, but you also have a lot of graduates from OSU. And... Um, just seeing what I saw today, um, pretty good educations are coming out of both of those schools, and I think they're they're doing us right for the federal government. You, you, how did how did it prepare you uh, that experience there prepare you for your your career? You know, um, kind of interesting. So I I probably never said when I started my engineering degree that I'm going to work for the Corps of Engineers. I that just 
you know, I probably didn't really even know very much about the Corps of Engineers except what a lot of people know, which is when you see a a castle at a lake project, right? Because right. you're going to the lake, Lake Eufaula. We used to go to Lake Eufaula or Texoma or wherever, right? And you're like, oh, what's that castle? And um, so I, I got my bachelor's degree and then I got my master's and uh, worked as a, a research assistant. And then I actually got on with the university. So I was a full-time uh, staff at the university when I was working on my PhD. So it took me a long time to get a PhD, but that was okay because I had a full-time job with benefits. You had the, mm -hmm. you know, you had everything. Um, and then I, after finishing my dissertation and I actually had a couple job interviews at universities and I decided, I was really, I'm not the publisher parish type. I'm not a researcher. Um, you know, you had to write journal articles, which I did uh, for my degrees, but I'm more of an applied engineer. I like, I like to see things get done. I like to, you know, have a, a project and then a product at the end that you can wrap the bow around and then move on to the next thing. And, and research can kind of go on and on and on. And sometimes it's so theoretical. And so... I actually knew some folks who actually I'd gone to school with, whether it was civil engineering or biosystems engineering, et cetera, different, a variety of people. And my area was at the time a water resources engineering. And then I found they, they had an opening at um, Tulsa District in hydrology and hydraulics, which at the time was right up my alley. So I got on there at um, the Tulsa Corps of Engineers. And then um, that's kind of... It's kind of all she wrote. I was going to be there for five years, and now it's 30 years later, and I'm at um, Washington, D.C. as director of military programs. So so you can try to, you know, mentally you can have this plan laid out in your head, uh, but the thing about the Corps is there are so many opportunities. There are so many challenges. Uh, there's so many locations you can be. Uh, you, can, you can change your direction. Like I said, I started out in civil works. I did a lot of civil works throughout my career. And then now I'm director of military programs. So you can kind of go a variety of directions um, and, and stay satisfied all the time. So your, your father was an electrical engineer, mm -hmm. right? And you said that when you were in school, you tended to drift toward the math and the sciences. And that was something that really piqued your interest. And we need engineers. So what, what do parents or... Of, of kids who are in, in junior high, maybe even elementary school at this point, what do they need to do and, and, and what needs to happen so that by the time a, a child reaches high school or is getting ready to graduate high school, they're prepared to take an opportunity to look into maybe engineering yeah, or STEM so, as a yeah, field? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm, I'm glad you, you brought up you know, the, the junior high or the elementary because if you wait until high school, it really is too late. Um, you know, especially now it's too late. And so, you know, I, I think as parents, you know, staying engaged with their children, you know, watching what they do, watching, you know, what their skill set is. And they know, people know their child's personality pretty young, right? You know, they know if they want to be analytical, they know if they're, they're more artistic, you know, they, you know, they, they kind of know. And I think that they can, you know, stay engaged and, and really make sure that they are, um, activities that that child is involved in and you know and, and you say this is pretty active we're active you know in in you know schools you know grade schools high schools making sure we're out there you know there's different competitions whether they are science fair competitions whether it's robotics whatever the case may be um but i think one thing we have to watch now and and you know i think we're all watching it play out is is how do we make sure that our engineers 
continue to learn as young people, or future engineers continue to learn, especially with AI out there, right? Uh, things become very easy, right? I mean, you can right. go in and you can put in a few buzzwords and you can have an essay written that you didn't write, but it sounds really good, right? Um, I have a, a, a neighbor um, of mine, uh, they've got a daughter at five and, and she's great and she, she's, you know, learning all sorts of stuff. And so she, she was all excited because she got this calculator, a little, I mean, a calculator, you know, basically with the nine buttons on it, what, I mean, nothing. Right. But she's also learning her, you know, her math, you know, right. so two plus seven or nine plus six or whatever. And so she got the calculator and she's just punching it in. I'm like, no, you've got to put that away. What, you know, you've got to add it, add it in your head. And I just think, I think there's so much out there that's so easy with cell phones now or iPads that children have that, that I, I, I get a little bit concerned that if parents don't really stay engaged and make the child learn rather than just know how to punch something in on a keypad and get them a, a great, and the answer is gonna probably be right on the keypad, right? right? But did they really learn? Do they know what they're doing? I know for engineering, um, what they always say, people kind of laughed if you weren't in engineering and we take, you know, exams and most of our exams are open books. They're like, what? You know, how could you ever, how could you ever flunk a test if it was open book? And, and what, what engineers had to learn is how do, what, did we make the right assumptions, right. right? Do you have the information? Can you, did you learn how to learn? That was what college was all about. Did you learn how to learn? Um, could you make assumptions? And I think, you know, once you get in there and it, with, you know, artificial intelligence, all of that machine learning, um, we've just got to make sure that our children will continue to learn. And that does take, whether it's by teachers, whether it's by parents, that one-on-one -on -one interaction with them as they continue to grow up and have them ask questions and not just throw out a bunch of answers that they don't know what they are. What would you say to, and, and you've kind of addressed this already, I, I guess, just, just by listing off some of the things that, that the core is involved in, but what would you say to recent graduates um, who are looking at, at jobs, in, especially in STEM, um, oh, yeah. to get them to consider sure. service to... So, so, and that is one thing that, that you know, we, and we talked about that a lot today when we went to the various um, facilities and, you know, what is the Air Force doing to, to make sure that they recruit the right people and then they can keep the right people. Uh, and like I said, when I started, it's like, oh, I'm going to go work for the government. I'll work for five years and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to make more money. I'm going to do this. But... But, but I was given um, a lot of opportunity and so much satisfaction. And that's a lot of, of you got to figure out what motivates people. And, right. and people are motivated by different things. They're motivi motivated by the chance to get to move a lot of different places. I've lived a lot of different places. Um, you know, I've lived in, in Kansas City and San Francisco and Sacramento and Hawaii and D.C. three times, or D.C. area three times, you know, Tulsa, right? Tulsa twice. Well, not, not counting when I grew up in Oklahoma City. <laughs> but, but I was able to go to a lot of different places. You know, I did a, a stint in Iraq and a stint in Afghanistan. And so just kind of seeing this world um, that's out there through work, and for me that was very satisfying. Right. Um, also the diversity of what we do. You know, uh, I, you know, I named the three areas that the Corps of Engineers does, but under each of those areas, you know, whether it is economics or whether it is, you know, planning and environmental, you know, NEPA, whether it is, you know, design engineering or, you know, construction oversight. Um, you know, you can find a niche and then you can do that niche for a while and that might be the niche you want for the rest of your life or it might not be. And if it's not, there's other opportunities, so you've this, you know, vast, vast organization. And so I think a lot of it is, 
is do we keep our folks fulfilled? Um, I think another challenge, we probably have a little bit right now, and I'm going to sound really old school on this, but many times they say that people either stay or leave an organization because of their boss. And that's really important. And I think I think now with so much um, teleworking and remote working, where we lose a little bit of that interaction of the employee with their boss. You know, the teach coaching and mentoring, the the friendships that you make with a boss. Um, you know, all of that that's going on. And and you know, there's a lot of times I think people, you know, uh, someone leaves, and then all of a sudden four or five other people leave and go to where that person went because they liked working for them at this particular place, and they're going to go work with them again. And so I think, I think we've got to really make sure we're developing those supervisors so that they, you know, if someone coming out of school, you know, they can really understand what the core does, what the opportunities are. And I'm talking, you know, both technically, um, geographically, um, and, then, and then even, you know, core family-wise. Um, we just need to make sure that they understand that. And, you know, and there are going to be people, we, and I will tell you many times we have people that go away, mm -hmm. they go out to the private industry, and then they come back. And so that says something there, too. I just think, um, looking at how much work we have, we do have to watch and make sure that we don't stress our people out and they become overwhelmed and they just can't take it anymore because we've got a lot of work and probably not enough people. And so, but, but you got to do that as you develop your relationships and you understand your organization and they understand their boss of how to keep that all balanced. What, what, do you, what would you say was probably the main thing that kept you, kept you, you know, in the core or in, in the, you, you, you know, with yeah. management um, for me, I think it was, and, and I think it's kind of a double-edged sword if someone were to look at my resume that you could either look at it two ways, like, wow, you know, she did a lot of different things. She's been a lot of different places, had a lot of experience. Or you could look at it and say, wow, she couldn't really keep a job anywhere because she moved and moved and moved, right? But for me, but that was, that was you know, I've always had a little bit of wanderlust, right? And so I've always, um, I've always been able to, I, I never had like this perfect five-year plan. It right. wasn't, this is what I'm going to do and this is where I'm going to be. I always made sure that there were opportunities. You know, did I have an opportunity? And then if something came up, I was able to grab it. And so, you know, it wasn't that I've got to be at this particular spot in three years or another spot in two years. It was just that something would pop up and it's like, huh, that sounds really interesting and really cool. I think I'll go for it. And so for me, that, that worked out. But the thing about the core, too, I think that is, is, is it all just depends, it's, you know, on your personality. There are people, i got to tell you, people that I love as a person that's been from place to place and has been a supervisor for a very long time, I love those subject matter experts that have been in their, their spot for 20 years, and they know it better than anyone. I love those go-to people. And you know what? I met some of them today. You know, some people that have been out here, you know, when we were at the airfield. They know their stuff, and they are like gold to somebody like me. So, so if somebody wants to do that, you know, if they, they'd rather just stay there and focus and become the best expert they can, more power to them, and the core allows that also. Do you think it's, it's more where you are or what you're doing as far as it, that, that will give you satisfaction? Um, you know what? That's, that is, uh, that's people independent. So I, I don't know. I can't say that. I will tell you, we talked a little bit about this today too. And, and they were, we were trying to say, Hey, you know, for the air traffic controllers here at Tinker, you know, how are you, how are you keeping these? You know, they come in that we train them, the air force trains them really well. How do you keep them 
after four years, right? How are they not going to right. the FAA, et cetera? And they said, well, you know what? You know, if they can get like a European job, right? If they can get this and that. And, and you know, I've lived a lot of different places and I, I have lived like kind of places that everyone's like, oh, that'd be the coolest place ever. But it's all about your friends network and your family there. So, you know, do you have do you have those people that you're going to do something fun with on a weekend? And that could be in, you know, Sepulpa, Oklahoma, or that could be in Wiesbaden, Germany. You know, I, I and so for me, it's not I, I think, you know, it's it's nice to go to really cool places and say, wow, yes. I was able to, you know, go snow skiing this weekend in the Alps. Right. But, you know, you can drive up uh, 12 hours and go snow skiing in Durango, Colorado, too. Right? right, and so it's really about the people that you're with. That's, I mean, for me, it is, um, you know, and and that that can be anywhere. So, what have I not asked you that I should have asked you? Ah, I, I don't know. I think you've covered a lot, and I think what you didn't cover, I probably filled in. So I feel like I've been, <laughs> I feel like I've been talking an awful no. lot. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, I am. You know, I'm passionate about the Corps of Engineers. I'm I'm passionate, as I said at the beginning, about the Tulsa District. That's where my my roots are. Um, that's where I started with the Corps, and and you know, it's always nice to come home. So, um, I think I could be, you know, a pretty good poster child for the Corps, and and you know, sell it hopefully to other people because it is a great organization to work for. Well, thank you once again, Dr. Altendorf, for taking the time to to do this and. Welcome home again to Oklahoma, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your visit. I know you've got to head out to Arkansas, mm -hmm. so uh, you'll be in Little Rock District's bounds, I guess. So um, We are, but Tulsa's doing some work there, so we're right. actually going to Ebbing, Ebbing Airfield, right? And so a lot of work on the horizon that, that I think um, Fort Worth, Tulsa, and Little Rock are all going to be involved in, um, with a, and that's, as I was talking, Foreign Military Service, FMS, program out there that's right. and some milcon out there so lots lots coming up well thanks again and uh, it was really great you were really informative and learned a lot um, about military programs thank you for your time okay brandon thank you very much thank you for joining us for core struction core struction is a production of the tulsa district u.s army corps of engineers public affairs office this episode of core struction was brought to you by headquarters USACE military programs Thanks for joining us again and have a great day.